0: The hauntingly beautiful sound of Scarlatti's Stabat Martyr and apt listening, you might think, for Good Friday. The Stabat Mater Dolorosa translates as the sorrowful mother standing, a poignant reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the foot of the cross, as she faces the anguish of watching her son edging painfully closer towards his death. Scarlatti is one of at least 10 composers who've set this 13th-century Latin text to music. This image of Mary's witness may seem to you rather remote, yet with me today is another mother who brings the Holy Week Reflections on Suffering and Faith right into the centre of our 21st-century lives. My name's Mark Dowd, and in this special Good Friday edition of Things Unseen, I'm joined by Diane Foley, the mother of James Foley, who was brutally killed by the forces of Islamic State in August 2014. James, age 40, was the first of a number of victims of the British citizen Mohammed Mwazi, a fanatical Islamist who has been dubbed Jihadi John by the media. James had been working in Syria as a journalist, and was abducted in the autumn of 2012 after leaving an internet cafe. Diane, first of all, what kind of a person was James? What motivated him as a journalist and as a human being?
1: Well, Jim was a very easy-going young man. He loved life, he was a joyful, optimistic person, and rather humble. He loved to laugh at himself. So therefore, he made friends very easily. Jim had many, many friends all over the world and colleagues. I think Jim was very naturally a good person, if you will. He grew up in the Catholic faith. Jim was not particularly religious as he grew up. But as he grew older, I think he became a more and more compassionate and caring person.
0: He went to the Middle East to various countries to work as a journalist, but following the Iraq War of 2003, you as a mother must have had certain apprehensions about things that might possibly go wrong.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this was Jim's second career. He had previously been a teacher and got his second master's in journalism, but then chose to specialize in conflict zones. So I was... Very concerned about him, particularly as I came to realize how little protection Jim as a freelancer had.
0: So did you ever sit down over a cup of coffee and say, you know, Jim, why not think of doing something else?
1: Oh, definitely. How did he react? Well, he reacted by simply telling us that he had found his passion. This is what he wanted to do. Jim very much felt compelled to give a voice to those who don't have a voice. And he felt particularly for the civilians and those fighting for their freedom.
0: And so when he was captured in November 2012, coming out of that Internet cafe, it wasn't even clear at the time who had done it, but what were your initial feelings when you got that news?
1: We were devastated. This is the second time he was captured. He'd been we in Libya. Could,
0: oh, he was 44 days, wasn't he, in captivity in, in yes, Libya? Yes, yeah. in
1: captivity in Libya. So it was very disturbing to hear he had been captured again.
0: During this period of captivity, I mean, how much did you actually hear from him? Because there must have been times when there was just
1: silence we never heard from Jim Directly. once he was captured, Mark, mm. never again. But the last time I heard from him was one week before he was captured. I received a phone call at work while I was at work, but we never heard his voice again.
0: But I think you received a message from a Danish hostage who was released which basically gave the contents of a letter that James had uh, had written And particularly, he talked about the importance of prayer. What was in that letter?
1: All of Jim's letters were confiscated, so we never received a written letter from Jim. So before the last hostage, who was not British or American, left, Jim asked Daniel to please memorize his thoughts so that they could be related specifically to us. And so Daniel was good enough to do that. And within a day of his release, he called us to dictate as best he could remember what Jim's thoughts and desires were. So he definitely spoke of prayer. He told about how prayer was when he felt the closest to us, that when he prayed, he felt he could connect with all of us. He also spoke about the wonderful family memories that kept his hope and joy alive. And he spoke about every single person in our family by name. It was a very beautiful remembrance of Jim.
0: I think he's on record of saying that when he was in captivity, he prayed the rosary and he knew it was the prayer to Mary, the mother of God, that his grandmother and also his mother, you, Diane, would have been praying as well. That's an extraordinarily powerful thing to reflect on, isn't it?
1: It is. I really felt when I prayed, that's when I felt the closest to Jim, without a doubt. And the freed hostages said that Jim said the same thing that when he prayed, he also felt very close to his family. So that was our connection throughout those nearly two years of his captivity.
0: Which is an appropriate moment to talk about the music and the prayer that underpins, if you like, this Good Friday interview, the, the Stabart Martyr. At that time, did you ever begin to think of Mary and the parallel between the situation that she was in with her son at the foot of the cross and the fact that there was your son taken prisoner and in danger of being condemned to death?
1: Mark, there are many parallels. I think any parent suffers deeply when their child is suffering. Therefore, Mary certainly understood our pain, understands our pain now because she was a parent witnessing the great suffering of her beloved son. So yes, I think Mary is a very powerful image of a loving parent who grieves and is wounded by the pain inflicted on her child.
0: I suppose the difference is that Mary was physically there, however painful that must have been, and the frustration for you was this, this separation, this distance, and as you have said, the fact that you'd not spoken to James since he disappeared.
1: Well, it was easier in the sense that I wasn't witnessing the brutality to our son, Jim. But harder that I didn't get to hold him and be there with him, you know, so... They're both difficult, but it must have been terrible, even worse, to actually witness such cruelty to someone you love.
0: You and your family did try very hard to get James freed, I think on a number of occasions, but to no avail. Was there during that period ever a real kind of low point where you just were pushed to the limits?
1: There were many low points, Mark. It's a journey I don't wish on anybody. It's very hard when a parent, any parent, has their child kidnapped. They don't know where they are. They don't know if they're alive or not. They don't know if they're suffering or not. So there's a certain terror to it all. And the fact that it continued made it an ongoing, harrowing experience that Again, I don't wish on anybody. Any parent who's experienced it knows what I'm talking about. You know, the unexpected quality of it and the things you imagined and you hope for. It's a very difficult journey.
0: And yet, of course, he'd been in captivity once before and he'd been freed. I suppose human beings look for anything for a ray of light in these situations. Was there a part of you thinking, well, he got out of it once... You know, there's no reason to suggest that he might not reemerge again, and that gives you a sort of hope.
1: I was hopeful the whole time, Mark. I really believed that he would get out of Serial Live. I was hopeful till the very end.
0: And, of course, you heard the news about his death from a journalist. What was it like to have the news broken to you in that particular way? That must have been a crushing experience.
1: It was very disturbing. The journalist who contacted me was not seeking my reaction. She was calling, sobbing on the phone, asking me if I'd seen the Internet. So she, too, was reacting with her grief and horror. So she was just trying to inform me.
0: And, of course, the manner of James's death was very public because of the Internet, if you like, and also very brutal. I mean, how... If I can ask you this question, how have you dealt with the sheer horror of of the manner of his death?
1: I think what helps me the most is to focus on how Jim lived. I certainly don't want to focus on their horrific propaganda and their brutality, that's what they would like us to focus on. So I find it very necessary to focus on all the good that Jim stood for and to try to promote the continuance of his legacy.
0: And we'll talk a little bit later about exactly how you're going to do that. But what you're saying is a few seconds of the brutal manner of somebody's death pales into insignificance compared with a 40-year life in which great deeds have been done and someone has been a great testament to good works.
1: Exactly, Mark, and I need to be thankful for that. Jim was a wonderful son and a inspiring human being, so I am very grateful for that. And I'm grateful for his courage amid his captivity too. So we're really very proud of Jim and the life he lived.
0: You had a call from Pope Francis, didn't you, not long after his yes. his death. What, what did he have to say to you?
1: He himself had just endured a personal tragedy because his beloved nephew had been in a car accident that killed his family. So it was so incredibly good of him to think of us.
0: And what actually happened? The phone rang and did a voice say, oh, excuse me, I've got Pope Francis on the line? Or or was it just him straight away?
1: No, we were prepared a bit that the Pope would be calling. We did not know when it would be. But then his people called to make sure we were home, and then he came on the line. And initially we had an interpreter, but since many in our family understand and speak Spanish, then he changed into speaking Spanish, which was lovely, because we could speak more directly with him. He said he would pray for us. We talked at least 10 minutes.
0: Just going back to the stab at martyr and the image of Mary, I've often wondered what she would have made of what went on with the cross. Do you think somehow, as a Catholic yourself, as a Christian who gets great resource and great strength from this story, this image of, of Mary's witness, would she have had any idea of what was happening in terms of Jesus' death on the cross as part of God's plan? Or would she have just been bewildered, do you think?
1: Well, Mary is certainly our model of faith in God. She perhaps did not understand initially, but I suspect that she trusted in God and in her son that she was able to walk in faith. She knew somehow that her son had to die to save the world. and. Only God knows at what point she really understood it. But she was willing to walk in faith. And that's what I'm called to do as a mother. I don't understand why Jim, of all people, had to be killed in such a brutal way because he was such a caring person. But I have to try to walk in faith. And someday I hope to understand.
0: ever feel a sense of anger with God for letting this happen? So a sort of, you know, why me, why us, why him? You know, those those well, classic voices in the Psalms, you know. There are lots of bad people in the world, why can't punishment be meted out to them? But why why the virtuous?
1: Well, this brutality was not done by God. It was done by people who do not believe in a merciful, loving God, people who have no regard for human life. So God gives us free will in this world, and thus some people use that for great evil. So I have a lot of anger and sadness about the people who have so little regard for humanity. But certainly that anger is not at my loving God, who sustained Jim throughout his captivity and enabled myself and our family to hold together during it. God has been our strength. He has never abandoned us.
0: And you've never felt that once on this journey?
1: Of course I had moments of feeling very lonely, very alone on the journey, but knowing that God was suffering with me, that when I cried, god was crying with me has been a huge strength to me and my challenge is to keep walking in faith like mary did even if i don't have all the answers
0: you've done a lot of work in his name since his death i mean how do you see his legacy playing out in terms of the kind of things that you hope to achieve with the foundation that you've established in his name
1: Well, Jim envisioned a world that really respects the dignity and life of every person, regardless of socioeconomic, cultural, or national background. So his life demonstrated really an uncompromising commitment to the freedom of the press and to advocacy for basic human rights. So the foundation strives to make his vision a reality through the commitment to any American hostages their families you know to freelance journalists and to disadvantaged children those are the three areas we've chosen that Jim was passionate about one of our hopes is to build an American hostage resource center we want to do more to support American hostage families so we are very hopeful about that but need to do more fundraising to make that a reality.
0: Of course, you discover that the man who killed your son wasn't somebody from Iraq or Syria or Lebanon or Libya. He was from a country which is considered one of the greatest and closest allies of the United States, the United Kingdom. And this man who's been called Jihadi John, his real name, Mohammed Emwazi, when he was revealed for the person he was, I mean, that must have been quite a gear change in your life, that here was a man who actually had a face and an identity.
1: So many of these young men and women have been so twisted in their faith that they believe in such hatred and evil that it, if it hadn't been him, it would have been someone else. So I find him a very tragic figure who is filled with... A unbelievable amount of hate and our world needs the opposite of course Mark.
0: This man expressed no remorse at all and yet you moved to forgive him which I think a lot of parents listening to this program would find really really hard to to fathom that they might admire what you've done but they would possibly think oh I couldn't possibly have done that if that happened to my child. Why did you feel it was important to do that?
1: Well, I feel if we ever want peace in the world, we must find ways to forgive one another. If we continue hating one another, it's just one atrocity after another. I just think the hatred just increases, and then the suffering of the world increases, Mark. So at some point, we must forgive one another if we want any peace,
0: I don't know what the interfaith community scene is like in Rochester, where you live in the United States, but I'm kind of guessing that you might from time to time have heard from people who are Muslims saying, I'm so sorry for your loss, but you know that's got absolutely nothing to do with our religion. Have you had and such I think messages? That's true.
1: As a matter of fact, there's a beautiful group of Muslims in our area who the night after Jim was killed had a beautiful candlelight service for peace. And they prayed for Jim's soul, so I really feel that people of all faiths who truly believe in God recognize the need for forgiveness and mercy as the only path to peace, so we need to find ways to talk to one another and come to understand one another and that was one of the reasons Jim was over there; he was Always curious and interested in other people's cultures and faith. He came to really care very deeply for the Syrian people and their struggle for freedom.
0: And there were some reports that said he actually converted to Islam during his captivity. Do you give any credence to those reports? And does it matter?
1: Well, I know that Jim was praying because that's the only way he could have had the strength to endure what he did. So if he was able to pray five times a day by using the model for prayer that the Muslims do, I'm thankful he did it. Only God knows where his heart was at the end, but I know he was closely united with God. I personally doubt if he became a Muslim. I suspect he used those times of prayer as a time to commune with his God
0: why i'm interested in that why do you personally doubt that these reports are accurate
1: well the truth is mark i don't know i mean i wasn't there only god knows but the muslim faith certainly believe in god god the father i think the only real difference in our faith major difference is that we believe in jesus And I suspect that Jim believed in Jesus. But all I do know for sure is that he was very close to God because Jim had a tremendous amount of courage and compassion to all the other hostages throughout his captivity. And that could have only happened if he had been close to God.
0: And so what you're saying is that even if he had converted and he was praying five times a day so be it, but that is so much better than someone who despaired, lost all faith and all connection to prayer and God, and that would have been unimaginable.
1: Right. I think his prayer gave him his strength, without a doubt. So Jim continued to pray throughout his captivity. Now, whether he was praying as a Muslim or as a Christian, only God knows. I don't know, as it really matters, Mark, as long as he was praying to a loving and merciful God, which I know he was.
0: Diane, Stations of the Cross, a very important Catholic ritual. Let me just explain to listeners, who perhaps who aren't Catholics, that the Stations of the Cross are the 14 stages of Jesus' passion, from him being condemned to death, all the way to him being taken down from the cross on Good Friday. And it's a very central part of church ritual. This must be particularly poignant for you, this Passion Tide, after everything you've been through in the last few months.
1: Absolutely, Mark. The way of the cross is really the path of any human being who's suffering. And I think if that path of suffering can be united with God's suffering, it's easier to endure. So I find the Stations of the Cross a very powerful mode of prayer, if you will. And it helps me to stay more united with Mary. and recognize that Jesus was very close to Jim throughout.
0: And this is clearly the first Passion Tide since James's death, but going to church, taking part in those ceremonies, suddenly these words, these prayers, the music, must speak to you in a way that it's never spoken to you before.
1: Absolutely, Mark, obviously. It's made it come alive, and I pray that that was the case with Jim. But all people suffer in some way or another. And I think it's a way that all people who suffer can be united in God. So we need to realize that all of us human beings are really basically very much the same. And we need to have compassion and mercy on one another.
0: The great test of faith, of course, is when a human being is ask serious questions, and it's very easy to have faith when life goes swimmingly. It sounds to me, having listened to you for the last half an hour or so, that you have very strong faith, don't you?
1: I do. I don't think I could have gotten through these last few years without a strong belief that God was walking with me, carrying me through it all. I wish that for everyone because it's made all the difference, Mark.
0: And are you the rock of the family? I mean, Mary was there at the end, and here's the mother, once again, uh, sort of being strong for people and being a witness.
1: I do feel my husband and I grew even closer through it all, but it's been very, very hard on Jim's siblings because we all live a distance apart, and that's made communication and sharing of the stress difficult. They're all grieving in their own individual ways,
0: He was the eldest of your children, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was, yeah. So all I can do is try to love those around me and try to accept their ways of grieving and to just keep pointing to a loving God who will make it all well someday. And, you know, a faith in God also helps me to believe that Jim has been truly freed and is in a much better place than any of us. So that also gives me a tremendous hope and strength to know that Jim is free.
0: When we speak in religious language, we're often stretching to the point of breaking those words. But in a way, do you think you'll be reunited with Jim, that you will see him again?
1: That is definitely my hope, Mark. I have a great hope of that, yes.
0: That is perhaps a fitting moment to draw this conversation, inspired by the music of the Stabat Martyr, to a close. Diane, on behalf of all of our listeners, a really sincere thank you for sharing with us your memories of James and for being courageous enough to speak about how your own faith has sustained you through a truly testing and and painful time.
1: Well, thank you.
0: We owe our thanks also to the London-based choir, Coro, and their conductor, Mark Griffiths, Whose performance of Scarlatti's work you've heard throughout the special Good Friday edition of Things Unseen, the programme for those of you who think there's maybe more to life than the merely material. My name is Mark Dowd, and Things Unseen is a CTVC production. <laughs> And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.